Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, I got to say, the, the weirdest part for me, maybe not weird, but the biggest change for me moving inside is um, before every outdoor sermon, I would go up to my uh, sermon that was printed. I would take a pen and I would write down all the uh, page numbers just in case the wind would come and blow it away and I had to pick it up and know where I was. Um, this morning, I still did that because that was just my muscle memory. Um, but now I don't have to do that. There's no wind uh, to blow it away, which is really sweet. Um, so again, as Stephen said, greetings to those upstairs. Hello to those downstairs and watching from home. Um, we really appreciate you joining us in whatever um, state you're joining us. Um, and I, I pray that this ministers to you. Um, now, before we get started, I, I know that if you've looked in your bulletin, you'll see that this sermon is about fasting. Let's just get it out of the way. Yes, this is a sermon about fasting before Thanksgiving. I, I understand that. <laughs> the, the irony is not lost on me. It's open. It's in the air now. Let's move past it. All right. So we are in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. 16 through 18. It's found in your bulletin um, and your Bibles. All right. One of the big changes with 2020 so far that we've seen is that work seems to be changing a lot. Whether you are working in healthcare or at a hospital, it seems that you are working a lot of hours of overtime, working extra, or maybe some of you, like me, have even been furloughed or brought down to part-time. But no matter how hard or much we work, it seems like there are always those people that want to brag about how much they work longer and harder. In an advanced society like ours, it seems like a lot of value is put in how long and how hard one works. Elon Musk, the owner of SpaceX, which has recently launched two privately owned missions into space, which is awesome, um, seems to be one of those people who likes to brag about how often he works. He has said that he has worked 120-hour weeks and that working 80 to 100 hours per week is, quote, necessary to change the world. Now, I, I did the math for you, and that's around 16 to 20 hours per day. There are all sorts of executives of other big-name companies such as Apple that have worked similar hours at work. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. If there's something that needs to be done at work, there's nothing wrong with overtime to make that happen. But studies have shown that working around 55 hours per week is when productivity starts to stagnate and even drop. So 55 hours seems to be the cap. They study people that work 55 hours a week, and they have the same productivity as people that work 70 hours a week. That seems to be the limit. The point I'm trying to make here is that whenever someone does work long and hard, no matter how productive they may be according to studies, it seems like the default position is to brag about it, to make others feel less so for not working long and hard. And it's tough when we get home after a long day of work and we want recognition for it. But it seems like boasting is often the way to go. Question is, is this a good thing? Is it good to act a certain way, such as boasting or bragging or putting others down to get recognition? Does that mean that you did a better job than others? That's a question that Jesus is going to answer in our passage today, but it's not about bragging about office work. It's about fasting, about spiritual work. We'll see Jesus call out hypocrites who would rather fast than brag about it by showing it off. 
He then tells us the right way to fast and why we should do that the right way. So read along with me in Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Then your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, before we can get into Jesus' teaching here, it's important that we learn what he is teaching about. What exactly is fasting and how should it be done? Fasting is the act of going to use fasting to enhance their prayer. Now, hear me very plainly on this. There is no mandate to fast. The Bible is, is very clear that fasting is not mandatory for the Christian life. But we'll see that it has immense benefits. Stephen preached on prayer last week, that prayer is a way that we are able to communicate with our loving Father. Prayer is about humbling ourselves before the throne of God to ask our Father of things, to praise Him, and to petition for others. We come to the throne in prayer not to demand, not to beg, but to lovingly ask of our Father who we know gives graciously. But why am I talking about prayer when we're talking about fasting? Prayer does have great power, but we know that prayer is most effective when we are more reliant on God. When we are more reliant on God, we have more faith in God. Faith is super important in prayer. Jesus himself says in Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. If you have faith, obviously being the key part of that sentence. But how do we build faith? How do we grow in faith? By building our resistance, our reliance, excuse me, and dependence on the Lord by focusing less on worldly things and more on spiritual things. When we grow in faith, when we are more in tune with God's will because we are relying on him, then we are more able to prayfully ask for things that are in his will. Fasting is a great way to grow in faith because it forces us to rely on God. What about some other specific reasons to fast? People in the Bible would fast if they had a really tough decision to make and need that godly decision. Some people in the Bible fasted out of repentance, knowing that they committed a sin and wanted to be reconnected with God. Others would fast when they were in a tough situation so they would be able to rely God completely to make the right choice and not be distracted. The disciples did this after choosing elders in Acts 14, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. No matter what the situation, fasting improves prayer life because it takes away the worldly distractions and help the focus remain on God. Now, fasting doesn't just have to be with food either. There are biblical examples of fasting from only a particular type of sustenance. There's fasting of food and water, or there's fasting of other things such as sex and marriage. But when it comes to fasting, remember the end goal obviously is not to kill yourself by not drinking or eating water. Fasting is supposed to be for a set amount of time, and that time is to be devoted to the Lord. A great example of fasting from specific substances occurs in Daniel 10, where the prophet Daniel was fasting in mourning. He was mourning. 
He writes, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. He abstained from special food and drink like meat and wine and did not use any special ointments on himself. He did this for three whole weeks. Another great example of fasting is found in the book of Second Chronicles, where the king of Judah, Jezephah, called for the city to fast after hearing about an invasion. Second Chronicles 20 writes, Some men came and told Jezephah, A great multitude is coming against you from Eden, from beyond the sea. Then Jezephah was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So they were in fear of this upcoming attack. So they fasted as an entire city to seek the Lord. The Lord protected them and they survived the attack. Fasting helped them grow in faith and trust in the Lord when their very lives were on the line. So just like prayer isn't a way to make God into our personal vending machine, but rather align our will with his by being in communion with him, the purpose of fasting is to eliminate distractions and things we rely upon to better focus on him to understand that he is all we truly need. Now, I'm sure as we study this passage together and as we learn more and more about fasting, a certain thought has gone through your head as it has mine why would I do this? <laughs> Why would I not eat? Why would I not drink? That doesn't sound very fun. And I got to say, that's a, that's a very good question. I've thought of that too. But with the examples that I provided, we've seen a very clear picture about why fasting is important. We live in a world that is distracting and harmful to our relationship with God. John explains it well in 1 John 2. He writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What the world tells us is important directly contrasts with what God tells us is important. Sometimes we need to fast in order to remember that. The world tells us to make as much money as possible and not care about hurting others along the way. The Bible says to consider others as greater than yourselves and lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. The world tells us that if you want something to satisfy your flesh, to get it, whether that's by stealing, adultery, or cruelty. The Bible says for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The world tells us to boast of yourself, to act prideful, and you'll go far. The Bible tells us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. This is why Paul tells us in the book of Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Being renewed in our minds is when we start to learn from the knowledge of God rather than the knowledge of the world. That way, we have a deeper relationship with God, know him more, and grow in saving faith. With all of this, fasting is a great way to set your, th- set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, as the book of Colossians says. 
Fasting allows us, once again, to momentarily set aside the things of the world that can distract us and focus back on the Lord. So what about our text today? Since fasting is supposed to be a spiritual experience with just yourself and the Lord, or maybe a few others in fellowship like the disciples did, it's definitely not supposed to be a public thing like we see in our passage today. Read the second half of our passage again with me. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting should be done in secret because it is for our Father who sees in secret. But what about washing our face and anointing our head, as Jesus mentioned? We keep ourselves clean and presentable because we know that our uncomfortability during fasting is not for attention from others, but rather devotion to our God. What about anointing ourselves with oil? What's that about? The point of anointing ourselves with oil, just like other religious rituals that we go through, such as wearing a cross necklace or getting on our knees to pray or laying hands on someone when we're praying for them, is not to enhance or even boost our religious experience, but to use such things to actively focus on the Lord for whom our worship is for. But why do we have to look pretty, or at least look normal, while we're fasting? What if we want to show off the fact that we're fasting to tell others about God? Well, consider with me that assumption that one may have when seeing someone who is visibly fasting. If you are not religious and you see someone who is aching, gloomy, and generally looking like they're not having that good of a time because they're fasting, what would the assumption be? The assumption would probably be that that person is torturing themselves to appease God, right? That's how a non-Christian would look at it. Of course, that assumption doesn't say very good things about either that person or that person's God. So showing off your fasting by appearing gloomy, achy, or otherwise encumbered is not a good witnessing technique to get others to want to know your God. This goes into the notion that we saw in the previous passage that Stephen preached on last week, where Jesus commands us not to pray in public and not to show off our prayers. But the example that I just mentioned is of someone with good intentions, right? They want others to know God by their fasting. What about those that don't have good intentions? What about those that do it for attention and to feed their own pride? Look at the first verse again. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face so that their fasting may be seen like others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus calls those who actively show off their fasting hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who claims to believe someone something, but then acts differently. Or in this case, doing something correctly, but for the wrong reason. So someone who is fasting because it makes them look more spiritual is doing the action of fasting correctly, but it's ultimately doing it to boost their own personal public performance rather than their reliance on God. That makes them hypocrites. But why is being a hypocrite wrong? In this scenario of fasting, why is it wrong to be public about our devotion to the Lord? What if uh, public displays of devotion, whether good intention or not, lead others to God and therefore It all works out in the end, like the example I mentioned before. No, no. We we know from the book of Romans that others believe in the Lord, not through 
what we do in terms of our own personal religious experiences, but others believe in the Lord through hearing the word, that is, the Bible. Romans says this very clearly, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if we are trying to get others to see the goodness and love of God, we point them to his promises in his acts of love in his word rather than our own personal devotion. We're not trying to promote ourselves as great Christians, but our God as a great God. That's why we share the gospel rather than our own personal spiritual accomplishments. Now, even though we understand what Paul is saying in Romans, that faith comes from hearing the word of God and the gospel of God, we can often think getting others to believe depends on us. So we go above and beyond in religious rituals to get others to see our faith in God, and then we think that will make them grow in their faith of God. Sometimes we can brag about how often we go to church, brag about how often we read the Bible or pray. We can brag about our Bible knowledge and find every opportunity during small group or prayer meetings to throw in more Bible knowledge just to show off how much we know. We can completely change our wardrobe and decorations in our house to be all God-centric. We can think that we're less spiritual if we're watching at home on the live stream rather than coming in person. We need to make sure that our focus is on God rather than our focus being on appearing to be for God. Whether or not you do all the examples I mentioned, your devotion needs to be first and foremost to the Lord and not your appearance. How you show that devotion, prayer, Bible knowledge, church attendance, in person or uh, virtual, should not be used as a measure of faith, but rather a personal expression of it. Now, hear me very plainly here. Reading the Bible, going to church, praying, those are mandatory things in the Christian life. I'm not saying that they're optional. What I'm saying is, you're not more saved. You're not less saved. You don't automatically have a better relationship with God if you show off those things. Those are between you and the Lord. We want to avoid being like the Pharisees, who Jesus rebuked, saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are also full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. All you need to be saved, all you need to be right with God is a saving faith in Christ, which is given by God. Christ is given to us by God and saving faith is given to us by God. A perfect church attendance, knowing every book of the Bible or our appearance while fasting should not be used to judge others or judge ourselves as is not the standard of saving faith. The standard is faith. Just like in my example that I started with, the hours that you work at work doesn't determine your worth. Your worth is determined by the God who made you, not by your weekly paycheck or impact. Now, there's a bit of a threat as we move down in our passage today. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, with context, this is clearly not a good reward, just like a speeding ticket is a reward for driving fast. But what is this reward or rather punishment for the hypocrites? In Matthew 7, Jesus gives a similar warning. 
He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There will be those who appear to be strong Christians, such as those who purposely act gloomy and sad while fasting, as we see in our passage today, who Jesus does not know because they aren't fasting to get to know him better. So church, if you are praying, fasting, reading your Bible, etc., to know Jesus better, then have no fear, but rather faith in the one that you are getting to know. Enjoy the riches of his mercy and grace. Joyfully tell others about your great God. But to those who appear outwardly beautiful and properly Christian, to convince yourself and others that you are right with God and refuse to actually know God and grow in saving faith, then unfortunately there's a reward for you that's not a reward at all. Well, that's the, that's the warning part. It also gives a blessing at the very end of our passage today. Look again at the last verse with me. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, our first thought when hearing that can probably be, well, if I fast enough hours or fast long and hard enough, then I'll get a house in heaven or something. But that's forgetting the purpose of fasting. The purpose of fasting is to draw closer and closer to our God through putting aside worldly distractions. Therefore, the end game of fasting is to know God more. Our loving and gracious Father, who has a never-ending supply of grace, love, and mercy, we know him better through time with him. Or as James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So our reward for showing our fasting only to our Father who is in secret is our Father in secret. He is our reward. Getting to know him is our reward. Paul presents it this way in the book of Romans. He writes, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has graciously given of himself to us. We can know him through prayer and reading his word, and that is enhanced by fasting. The more we know of him, the more we see that he is trustworthy and worthy to be praised. All of this will help us grow in saving faith. So when it comes to fasting, we've learned a lot today in a very short amount of time. We've learned ultimately that fasting is not a mandatory aspect of the Christian life, but it can be a very helpful addition to it. Fasting helps us put aside what we get from the world in order to focus on God. We may put aside food and water to build dependence on the Lord who gives us that food and water. We may put aside television or social media or news to remind ourselves of how much better the knowledge of the Lord is than the knowledge of the world. We may put aside candy and other sweets to remind ourselves of the sweetness of knowing our Lord is supreme above all other things. 
And if you're still sitting there in the pew or at home or downstairs and thinking, I don't, why would I want that? Why would I want to do that? Then may I suggest actually doing that, right? To know God more. If you can't see the benefit of getting to know God more, of falling more in love with your Savior, knowing more of his knowledge, his riches of mercy and grace, then maybe you need to fast in order to remember that. Now, whether you just heard that or uh, listening to this sermon and you're thinking, that sounds like something I need to do, let me give you some practical advice for fasting. Don't worry, you don't have to do it over Thanksgiving. You can wait. You can wait till afterwards. But if you want to fast, start slow. Do like a mini fast. Skip lunch one day and read your Bible instead. Work up to it. When you do a fast, a full fast, set aside a certain amount of time and stick to it. One day, two days, maybe a week, whatever it may be. Don't just fast until you feel like stopping. Trust me, you're going to feel like stopping. You're not eating. (laughs) When you fast, have a specific thing that you are focusing on. Try to read and pray about God's love if you feel unloved, or his goodness if you feel like you don't know where to turn in life, or his sovereignty if you are facing a hard decision. Don't just not eat and flip your Bible open to a random passage and hope that it works out. Pray and fast that God would help you to know about the things that you are having trouble with while you fast. If you're planning on fasting, feel free to reach out to Stephen or me and we can give you some passages to look at if, if you're feeling any one of those things and need help with that. So when we get into this holiday season, especially one within a pandemic as unique as we are right now, there might be some pretty good reasons to fast. Maybe family can be really tough around Thanksgiving and Christmas. So you fast for a day and you focus on prayer to prepare your heart to be patient and kind. That's a really good reason to fast. Maybe this holiday season is tough because of the loss of a loved one, either due to the pandemic or otherwise. So like David did, we met, we, you mourn while fasting. Fasting out of mourning can grow our reliance on God by allowing us to focus on those sad feelings, not just suppress them, but give them up to the Lord who is near to the brokenhearted and crust, saves the crust in spirit, as Psalm 34 says. Or maybe you want to fast because of a difficult decision coming up that is causing you great anxiety. Maybe getting a new job or deciding to change schools or anxiety about the pandemic or politics. Fasting out of anxiety can force us to rely on the Lord. As without the things of the world to focus on, we are left with no choice but to seek God. Doing this is an act of casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, as First Peter says. No matter what the case is, next time you fast, then you need to focus on devotion to the Lord to make a decision, to mourn, to get your mindset right. Consider fasting. But, as Jesus commands us today, when you fast, do not appear to look gloomy like the hypocrites do. Don't show off your fasting. Do not brag about your fasting. Ultimately, remember who your fasting is for. It's not for others to see how holy you are and how much devotion you have. It's not for that. 
It's not for the religious leaders. It's not to text Stephen or me and say, I'm doing it. I'm fasting. Aren't you proud of me? That's not the point either. Our fasting is for God. It's to grow our dependence on God. To grow our dependence on him in times of trial and on times of rest. When we remember who our fasting is for, it shapes how we fast and ultimately the impact of our fast. When we fast correctly in private and not to show off, the Lord is with us. When we don't, he's against us for using, for not using his gift properly. Here from Isaiah 58 as we finish, which tells of those who fasted from the Lord, fasted for the Lord and received his blessing. Isaiah writes, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your real God. Hear this church. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of fasting. We thank you so much for encouraging us and giving, this, giving us this gift to help us rely on you. Lord, I pray if we decide to fast either this holiday season or otherwise that you would give us wisdom. Lord, that you would give us wisdom how to fast, what to fast from. Help us remember who our fasting is for, Lord. Lord, ultimately, as we finish up our worship service here turn our hearts to you, Lord. And as we leave this worship service and go throughout our week, Father, I pray for mercy and I pray for a safe Thanksgiving. Lord, whether we are traveling or doing Thanksgiving virtually, the way, Lord, I pray that you would protect us from this virus, protect us from this pandemic. Lord, I pray that we would be safe and smart. And I pray that we would consider others as greater than ourselves. Give us patience and kindness during this holiday season. In Christ's name, amen.